Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor and author Randy Frazee, who is well known for writing the story, he puts the, the Bible in a unified narrative chronologically. He states that to better understand the Bible, that you need bifocal lenses, and not just to read the words on the page, but actually a, a metaphorical bifocal lens, a lens that allows you to see, as you're reading the Bible, two stories at the same time, what he calls the lower story and the upper story. Now, the lower story are the events found in Holy Scripture from our point of view, from a human point of view. And, and yes, there are extraordinary things in the Bible, but we remember that these events are happening with otherwise ordinary men and women living their everyday lives who find themselves interacting with God. But their vantage point is from below. It's, it's our vantage point as well. It's the view of the trees, so to speak, not the forest. I guess we have some drum noises going on. Okay. No, no, no. I knew that wasn't coming from you, Cindy. <laughs> All right. Well, the upper story, then, in, contrast, in contra uh, contrast to the lower story, the upper story, then, is that view of the forest. It's the events of Scripture from God's point of view. And so it reveals the overarching narrative that, that fits then all of these stories and these lives together like one unified mosaic made up of all those individual pieces. And we realize that both of these stories, the upper story and the lower story, they are happening simultaneously. In fact, they are both the same story, just from two different vantage points. And both are God's stories. And this is important then for us because it helps us understand the unified account that the Bible is presenting to us. And so often in our, in our lives, the, the only picture that we do get is from the ground level, that lower story that is most apparent to us. And that's certainly what we see happening in the book of Ruth. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up to, to Ruth chapter 1. We're zooming in and we hear a real life story. And the story that we hear is Ruth's, of course, the namesake of the book. But actually, primarily, first we hear Naomi's story. And we hear that her story is a difficult one. It is full of hardship and pain and maybe even anger and despair. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they, they are leaving the land of Israel because there was a famine, there was a shortage of food. And, and they go with their two sons to a different country, to the land of Moab. And, and this was a godless country. This was not a pleasant place for Israelites to be. And while they're there, Naomi's husband dies. And so she's a widow. And so she has her, her two sons, and, and they marry two Moabite women, two idolaters, but then her sons, Naomi's only earthly source now of safety and security and provision in a foreign land, those two sons die as well. And it leaves Naomi widowed and bereft of her offspring with Moabite daughters-in-law. 
And yes, there is this wonderful love between Naomi on one hand and Orpah and Ruth on the other hand. And, and there's this moving scene towards the end of, of, of our text today between Naomi and Ruth. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. That may leave us with questions, actually. A, a deep love between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. That's a wonderful thing, but... Isn't that a strange reason to abandon your own people and change your religion? And Naomi couldn't promise Ruth, even though she was going back to the land of Judah, Naomi couldn't promise Ruth any physical or material security to speak of. And yet they go together. What is clear, however, is Naomi's feelings about the way that the story of her life is playing out. She says to her daughters-in-law, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me in verse 13. And then in the verses that immediately follow our Old Testament reading, verses 20 and 21, Naomi says, do not call me Naomi, which means in Hebrew, pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. What we see is that the lower story in the book of Ruth is not a pretty picture. And again, when you stop to realize that these are real human experiences in history, these are real people in real situations affected by real problems, you begin to realize the feelings of dismay. You may even begin to wonder if you were in Naomi's shoes, how you would feel about your life and how you would feel about God. Naomi doesn't realize what is going on in her story. She can only see that in her life, her life has been difficult and filled with sadness and loss and death. And somewhat startling, actually, our Old Testament reading today ends right there. It's a story with which we may be able to identify, perhaps by personal experience, the things that we've gone through or maybe are going through or the experiences of someone that we know and love. And even though this story of Ruth has sort of a happy ending, if you're familiar with it, Naomi and Ruth return to Israel. They are taken care of by an upstanding man named Boaz. Boaz fulfills his role as kinsman redeemer. Ruth marries Boaz, and so it goes. Even despite all of that, let us not forget that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, he dies. And Malon and Kilian, Naomi's two sons, they still died. The lower story in Ruth doesn't really yield a story where God makes it all better in the end. God doesn't always make sense to us when all we can see sometimes is just life from our own vantage point. And so your life might be like that. Or someone you love might have a life like that. It doesn't always make sense. You can't always tell what is going on in the moment. And our earthly stories don't always have happy endings. God doesn't promise that to us. Because sin is really sin. And sicknesses are really sicknesses. And death is really death. And we don't always know why a loving God allows those things to continue. 
And it's not like you can ignore the lower story. You can't pretend like it's not there or that it's not real. It is. And you can't always explain it all away like you know what God is doing. We don't. You know, that can be a damaging thing to do if you're walking alongside someone in life who is grieving or who is struggling in some kind of affliction. And so what we don't do is we don't deny their story that they're living out, saying something like, well, this can actually be for your good. And you don't try to minimize what they're going through, saying, well, it's not all that bad. And you don't try to explain it, saying, well, this must be the reason God is doing this. We don't always know that. Sometimes, though, the best thing you can be for someone who is walking through affliction is just a present companion to walk with them. But that's not everything. The truth is, and this is the key for us today, that the lower story that goes on in our lives, the lower story is not the only story. It's not the only story that's in my life. It's not the only story in your life. And it's not the only story going on in Naomi and Ruth's life. There is always another story being told. And in the book of Ruth, the story of Naomi is actually being told, being written down and recorded for us by someone after the fact. Most people believe that it was Samuel who, who wrote the book of Ruth. But, but whether it's Samuel or not, it's someone inspired by the Holy Spirit whose voice is directing us in what is actually going on. And, and he knows, the author knows more than Naomi ever realizes in her life. The author is showing us the upper story. And so that doesn't mean that it's a simplistic story, and it also doesn't negate the lower story that's happening, and it also doesn't guarantee a happy ending for everyone involved like we talked about. But listen to what the author is telling us, the hearers, the readers. Listen so that when those you know and love who, are, who may be suffering in their lives, but maybe they come to a place where they do have ears to hear, that we can share the upper story with them. And so the author of the book of Ruth starts off the whole book by stating, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So they were from Bethlehem in Judah. And that's normal and expected information. But what's significant here is that the author doesn't just say it once, but in the very next verse, he says it again. He gives their names, and then he states they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. Well, why bother saying where they're from, not once, but twice? Well, we notice that Naomi, at the end of the chapter, Chapter 1, returns to Israel with Ruth the Moabite at the beginning of the barley harvest, and they go back to Bethlehem. And there in Bethlehem is where that lower story then plays out. And, and again, we know how it goes with Ruth and Boaz and all that, but let's stay for a moment just with the upper story. In fact, let's go to the very end of the book of Ruth, the end of chapter 4, and this, this forms a sort of frame for everything that's going to go on in the middle. 
Because the significance and the power of Naomi and Ruth, it doesn't come ultimately from the lower story. It comes from the upper story. At the very end, Boaz and Ruth, verse 17, they have a son and they name him Obed. And and he will become the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David. David of Bethlehem. And again, it's not enough for the author to say it just once, but just like at the beginning, he says it twice. We get a little genealogy that follows in chapter 4, just so that the significance of what's going on here gets hammered home. And so the final verses of the book say, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. David the king. David to whom God would give a promise and through whom God was going to be at work in Israel. And so as the rest of the Old Testament story plays out, from, again, from a lower perspective, what we see is that there is rampant sin and rebellion and idolatry. Israel's kings fall away from their God. Death and judgment come upon them. But even then, God is still at work in Israel. And you see, that's the upper story, that God is always at work. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he's eliminating sickness and death. The the lower story may very well remain a hard one still, a sad one, a, a heartbreaking one. And so we don't deny it. We don't minimize it. We don't try to explain it away. But we always realize in faith, that there is another story going on. And that's the point. God was at work through and in Naomi, the God of Israel who had been at work in God's people. He rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and he remained at work during this period of the judges when each man, the Bible says, did what was right in his own eyes, and so many people went astray. And when any other run-of-the-mill deity would have just done away with them, would have just written off this people, what did God do? He didn't. He remained at work. In Israel, in the book of Ruth, and throughout Scripture. And so God was at work then when he gave Israel a shepherd boy to be king, whose great-grandmother was Ruth, whose great-great-grandmother was Naomi. And David, sinner though he was, he did not lead Israel astray. David led them into the worship of the only God whose mercy is for a lifetime even if it's a lifetime filled with sadness. God is at work. He has a plan. He's carrying it out. He carried it out all around Naomi as her story led to David. And God was at work in David. But God's work didn't finish with David. That promise continued to echo through the years, as over a thousand years, actually. The fortunes of Israel waxed, but then also mostly waned. And sadness, and destruction, and exile, and punishment for sin gave a lower story that broke the hearts of the prophets, and it broke the back of a nation. But still, according to his story, God was at work. Because God had promised another shepherd king to come from the line of David, who would rule over his people forever. And no matter the amount of human sin 
or death or the, the workings of the devil, no amount of that could ever threaten that promise. And once again, God was at work in Israel when the promise finally came true. In the city of David, in Bethlehem Ephrathah, in the land of Judah, the same place where Ruth and Naomi lived. This time it was in the days of Herod the king, and it took place in a stable, in a lowly manger, and God was there. He was there at work in the promised son of David, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is God's bigger story. Jesus is where God's two stories, the lower stories of our lives as well as the upper story of God's salvation, they come together and meet. And Jesus is God at work for us. In his lifetime, he he went about doing good. He healed many people. He brought the reign and rule of God to bear here on earth. But remember that when it was time for him to deal with all the brokenness and sin and pain, Jesus did not take them out of this world yet. No, Jesus entered into them. Which means for us, there are still days and months and years in our lives when we may wonder why and when we cry out to God. And Jesus promises when he comes again, he will take them all all away. But not yet. But because Jesus did enter our story and because he took all evil and sin upon himself in our place at his cross, then Jesus knows. He knows what we know. He he feels what we feel. And because of that, Jesus is a comfort for us in times of trouble. But even more, Jesus did something about all those things that cause us trouble. He destroyed the power of sin and sickness and death by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Those things, sin and sickness and death, they may remain for a moment, for a lifetime. But their ultimate power is gone because of Jesus. And therefore, we are not condemned. And the day will come. When all things in this world will be made perfect and right, the day when Jesus will return again and we will be with him forever. Because of Jesus, God will always be our faithful and loving father. And nothing can separate us, the Apostle Paul writes. Nothing can separate us from what God is doing for us in his upper story. The Apostle Paul is another person who knew very well the the lower story and all of its difficulties. Just read through the book of Acts sometime again and see everything he went through. But even when the lower story is full of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, the upper story is this, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this, then, is true faith. It's not superficial faith. It's not a a pretend faith. It's not the faith that you can find in some inspirational section of the bookstore. No, this faith is the faith that sees both of God's stories at the same time. 
And so when the lower story is fearful and strong in your life, God will give you a heart that is stronger still so that you may cling to his son, Jesus Christ, for you, his suffering and death for you. And when people you love, with whom you are walking, find themselves as God's suffering children, and they are crying out to God, and you are there, God will give you the patience and the love to walk with them. And when the time is right, to remind them of the promise that no matter what may come, God is still at work for them. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.